Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. So good to be back with you this week. Appreciate those of you that prayed for Sue and I while we were presenting at a marriage encounter up in Bay City, Michigan last weekend and uh, had a wonderful time. Uh, it was a busy weekend, but uh, we always look forward to those because it gives us an opportunity to uh, see God do miraculous things in just like a short window of time. And as, uh, as usual, he pulled through again and did miracles and brought healing and restoration to some folks' marriages last week. So appreciate those of you who prayed for us. But it is good to be back this week. I'm excited about this brand new series that we're starting this morning titled Jesus and We. And I'll let you know up front, the purpose of the series or one of the purposes of the series is to help us recognize that God created us, the church, because we are the church, God created us to be not independent of each other, but interdependent upon one another. In fact, God actually designed the life of faith to be lived out in the context of community. Occasionally, I'll hear someone talk about their faith, uh, and they'll talk about it kind of like it's a private matter. They'll, they'll make a comment, something like, well, you know, well, my faith is between me and God. You know, that's, you know, this faith is between me and God. Well, I respectfully disagree with that notion because the only time, there, there are two times that your faith is really strictly between you and God. That's at the beginning of your faith when you come to Him, confess your sins, invite Him to be Lord and Savior of your life, and at the very end, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, okay? Those two times are really the only times that it's just, you want to talk about, you know, your faith being between you and God. In between those two bookends, all right, God designed our faith to be lived out in the context of community. Now, I understand there are times Jesus talked about getting times of getting alone with him. Yeah, and, and, and I understand that. But if you look at the large picture of what he's called us to do as a church in fulfilling the Great Commission, those things are done in the context of community. That's Jesus and we, not Jesus and me. So we are designed to live in the context of community. And really, honestly, that's not even a Christian thing. That's just a, that's just a human thing. I mean, studies have shown that, that people who are more socially connected are much healthier. Uh, they, are, they, are, uh, uh, less, they have less depression. Uh, they have higher self-esteem. So this isn't even a Christian or church thing. This is something that is just the way God designed us. And, and in the same way that people that will isolate themselves socially, how that can be bad for them physically, not to mention emotionally and spiritually, how much more is that true spiritually when Christians try to live a life separate from the life of community, of, of living out faith in, in, in the, of their community of the local church? So this isn't even just a, a Christian thing. This is just something that, that the, this is the way that God designed us. So for the next four weeks, I want, to, I want us to begin looking at our relationship with Jesus outside the context of just Jesus and me and more in the context of Jesus and we. And I'm, I'm going to point to four different values to kind of help guide us through this series, values that will help us be more effective in fulfilling our, not just the Great Commission, but our part of that, what we call um, our, our mission statement, which is being the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to be introducing these four values with that pronoun we, since it's Jesus and we. So value number one, here we go, buckle up. What are we? We are a faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. 
yeah, and the response in this service was kind of like it was in the 9 o'clock service. I, I really thought that would kind of be a little exciting to hear. Let me say that again. We are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. There we go. Who will never, listen, who will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. We want to seek God for the impossible, believe God for miracles, dream that God would do exceedingly and abundantly more in our lives than we could ever imagine, as the Bible says. Why? Because this next phrase is huge. For his glory. Why do we need to be have this big faith? It's for his glory that generations would know who he is. Why are we faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers? Not for us. It's for the one. It's for the one. It's for the next generation. And when you read the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, it's really interesting because you'll find that there are only two things that amazed him. Now, that, that's something to really ponder because, you know, if you could walk on water, if you could you know, calm a storm, if you could raise someone from the dead, if you could open up someone's blind eyes, open up someone's deaf ears, what would it take to impress you? You ever thought about that? Well, there are two things the Bible tells us that that amazed Jesus, and, and they're, they're found in two different stories. And the first story, uh, it actually took place during a time when Jesus was back in his hometown ministering in his home church, right? And so he's teaching in the synagogue, and, and some of the people there were offended because they're watching this Jesus teach, but they couldn't get over the fact that because their snapshot of him from before, for some of them, the last time they saw Jesus, he was a little whippersnapper following his father Joseph around with carpent carrying carpentry tools probably. And now here he is, fast forward 20, 25 years later, and here he is teaching in the synagogue. And, and that offended, Bible says that offended some of the people. Let's, uh, let's read, Mark uh, records it for us. Let's uh, read what it says here. Mark 6 verse 1 says that he went away from there and came, talking about Jesus, came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. Verse 2, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where'd this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Verse 3, is this not the carpenter? Again, here, the, here we come to this, the snapshot. They remembered him as this carpenter's son. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother, uh, Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Verse 4, And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And he, and this is an amazing statement here, And he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Isn't that interesting? He couldn't do mighty works except, you know. So Jesus, even on his worst day, is still healing people. You know, because that's, that's all he could do. That, I, I don't know, that just that struck me as pretty amazing there. And then verse 6, and, here, and he, and here it is, here, and he marveled, was amazed because of their what? what? What did he marvel at? Unbelief. Unbelief or lack of faith. The second story we're going to look at is found in Luke's gospel. It's the story of uh, a centurion, a Roman centurion whose son had fallen seriously ill and even though the centurion worked for Rome, we're told that this specific centurion was actually very friendly to, to the Jewish community. In fact, we're told he even helped build the synagogue. 
in that town locally where, uh, where he ruled, where he worked for Rome. He actually helped build the synagogue there. So, so he worked for Rome, but apparently he was a friend to the Jewish people and the Jewish elders. So one day, he finds out that Jesus is kind of close by. And so he asked some of the Jewish elders if they would go and see if Jesus would come and, and pray for his son, who was very sick. And of course, the Jewish elders were glad to do this because he had been so kind to them in helping them build the uh, uh, synagogue as well as some other things. So G the Jewish elders, they go find Jesus, tell him the story. Jesus is moved by the story, agrees to come and pray and, he, and pray for the young man. But before he arrives at the centurion's house, the centurion sent some messengers out to meet Jesus before he got there. And, well, let's read what happened in Luke 7, verse 6. And Jesus went with them. Here he's talking about the messengers who the centurion had sent to go get Jesus. Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Verse 7. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Then Jesus said, and then, then he said, the very next verse, verse 8, for I too am a man set under authority. And that is a huge statement because it shows us that the centurion, even though he wasn't a Jew, even though he wasn't, he wasn't a part of the covenant of God's people, he recognized that Jesus was also someone under authority. Who told him that? It, it was just a revelation that God must have showed him that. It says, and I too am a man under authority. Now, the reason why that's huge is because who was Jesus under? Who was Jesus under authority to? The Father. The Father. So basically what he's saying is, Jesus, I recognize that you've come from God. Do you see that? And the reason I point that out is because the first step to having big faith is recognizing, number one, that Jesus is who he says he is, and number two, because he's who he says he is, he'll do what he said he'll do. So that's an important point to note there. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does this. Verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Now question, what would it take to amaze the Son of God? Again, if you were able to walk on water, raise people from the dead, open up blind eyes and do all this, what would it take to impress you? When you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, you'll find he was impressed by two things, people's lack of faith and people's great faith. Those two things. Those are the only things that impressed him. When people had a lot of faith or when people did not have very much faith. That's it. So, Next question, if Jesus looked at your faith level, those things that you're attempting for his glory, those things that, that you would like him to see to do in your life, would he be amazed at how big your faith is or would he be amazed at how little, how small your faith is? See, that's really a great question to wrestle with. And we're going to dive into this a little more next week, but I'm actually going to have you rate your faith on a scale from 1 to 10. It's going to be fun, so don't be intimidated by that. You, you won't want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be kind of drilled down on that question. Would Jesus be amazed at our lack of faith or our great faith? Right. And if you find yourself struggling to answer that question, 
perhaps it might be better to ask yourself this question. If God answered every one of your prayers, say over the last month, if God answered every one of your prayers, I mean immediately, right as soon as you prayed it, okay, who, who wants to sign up for that? Wouldn't that be great? But seriously, if God answered every one of your prayers over the last month, immediately, as soon as you prayed it, what would look different in your life today? How would your life look different today? How would your family look different? How would your world look different? How would your marriage look different? How would your job, how would your school, how would your neighborhood look different if God answered your prayers like that? See, how you answer that question shows you how bold your faith is. For some of you, there probably wouldn't be a whole lot different in your world today because either you didn't pray or you didn't pray very big prayers over the last month or so. You didn't pray any bold, daring, big thinking, bet the farm types of prayer. So back to the question, would God be amazed at your great faith or would he be blown away that you didn't attempt anything or pray for anything significant during the past week or month? or even the past year. As a church, I believe that God's calling us to be faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers who never insult God with small thinking or safe living. And I believe that because of three faith-filled facts that we're going to look at. And I, I believe God's, God wants us to become faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. I believe he wants us to do that for these reasons. Number one, because you cannot play it safe and please God. It can't be done. Here's how the writer of Hebrews put it. Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Interesting statement. Without faith, it is impossible. Not hard, not difficult, impossible. In other words, if you could do everything within your own power, then you wouldn't need faith, would you? And without faith, it's impossible to please God. See, here's the problem with faith. Faith isn't always neat and clean and packaged, is it? I mean, there's some days when faith is easy for us, like when you're praying for that parking lot, that parking space right up by the front door. You know, it doesn't take much faith for that. But then you bump into some things sometimes, and all of a sudden, faith gets a little messy. And you got a life and death issue at, at stake. And that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. Those are the points it's hard to believe in a God that you can't see. Right? Those are the times that you start entertaining doubts. Right? So I'm, just, I'm, I'm, throwing you, I'm throwing it out there. I look, I, I live in the same world that you do. Sometimes it is hard to have faith. But those are the times that our faith really needs to kick in. So when that happens, when life gets messy and you bump up into those things that make it hard to follow and obey a God that you can't see, what do you do at that point? That's why it's called faith, because it's not proven what's going to happen. You know, one of the greatest examples of this is Peter. When all the disciples were in the boat that one night and Jesus comes walking on the water, and Jesus is like, hey, anyone want to come out here with me? And Peter, the crazy one, he's the only one that, takes Jesus up on his offer. He gets up and he steps out of the boat and he starts walking. Of course, you know the story. He started sinking. As soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus and started looking at the circumstances, that's when he started sinking, right? But here's what you need to remember about that story. At least he tried. 
there were 11 guys, 11 other guys in there that didn't even try. Didn't even try, right? There was no guarantee what would happen on Peter's third or fourth step until he took that first one. But at least he tried, right? I think that uh, sometimes it's hard for us to even just take that first step because we're, we're afraid that we're going to fail. I was trying to think of... Uh, a scary time in my life that I really had to lean into God and my faith needed to kick in. And one of the times I thought about was years ago, we, Sue and I took a trip to Merida, Mexico, and uh, visited uh, Galen and Veda Scott, who had planted a church in, in, in Merida, and so uh, in the Yucatan there of Mexico. And, and one day uh, we just went, wanted to just take a free day. We went sightseeing. So they took us to the, uh, the Mayan ru- ruins, Uxmal, U-X-M-A-L, uh, Mayan ruins. And uh, of course, it was a fascinating experience um, until uh, I climbed the pyramid. Anyone ever climbed a pyramid? Anyone ever climbed one of those pyramids? Uh, tell you, what they don't tell you is it's a completely different ball game coming down a pyramid than it is walking up the pyramid. Because when you're walking up the pyramid, you don't realize how high you're going up. The Mayan feet were small feet. You know, they were the Mayan Indians, you know, so they had small feet. And so those steps on pyramids were designed to fit Mayan's feet, not North American gringo's feet. And so, but that's why they, that's why they walk at, at kind of sideways to make sure their whole foot would land on that step. And they would do that, and then they kind of go, you know, zigzag like that. So, Anyway, I get up to the top of the pyramid, and of course there's someone up there that kind of gives you the little tour of the, the little couple of chambers up there where the Mayans, you know, worshipped and so forth. And then you go out the other side of the, the top of the pyramid, and, and that's where you go down. And I stepped out there, and I looked down, and I kid you not, that almost looked like a cliff. You wouldn't think so, but it literally, it scared me, because it was like, I felt like I was going to fall. started getting dizzy, and, and, and I noticed that there was this, this rail that had this cable on it that went from the top of the pyramid down to the bottom. That wasn't on the other side where you come up, but it was on the side where you go down. And the guy up there told me that was stationed there because they know people freak out when they get up there, so they had someone stationed there. Oh, yeah, you, you can just kind of just hold on to the rail here because he said, yeah, people don't realize, you know, how, how far up they are, you know. And, and so I'm sitting here, and, and I asked him, I said, so uh, has anyone ever died from doing this? And he said, not yet. And it didn't help about that time when two teenage girls, mind you, two teenage girls just come bouncing out the thing, and they just do, 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 start going down. And here I am trying to decide if I want to put on my big boy pants or wet my big boy pants. <laughs> but, you know, at that point, I got to do something to turn in my man card. What do I do? Turn around and go down backwards? I actually thought about going down backwards, but then I thought, this is no life. People actually went down on their butts. People would scoot. One step, it was that scary. People would freak out. They would just sit down and go down step by step. I don't know how long it took them. They were probably there four or five hours doing that. But I didn't know what was going to happen on step four or five until I took step number one. That's the big one. That's the big one. And so I held on to that cable, and I took that first step, and I'm 83% sure I didn't say a cuss word. 100% sure I thought one. But don't judge me till you've been on top of a pyramid, right? <laughs> See, at that moment, I was kind of having my own faith crisis. I'm praying, God, if you ever helped anyone, right? See, oftentimes, 
our fear of failure is what keeps us from taking that first step of faith. Because, see, here's the thing. People think that failing means they're missing God, and that's not true. That's, that's not true. When you fail, that doesn't mean that you've missed God. Did Peter fail? No. But he was the only one that was willing to step out of the boat, right? Here's something that I've discovered. You're not going to want to hear this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Failing is often the first step to discovering God. It is. It is. In our desperation, when there's no plan B, right, and we're in that place where if God doesn't, what, what, else, what other options do you have? And you know what? It's not even failure when you look back on it because God will redeem that. God has a way of redeeming those things, right? I would even argue if you're not failing every now and then, you're playing it way too safe. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So would God be amazed at your great faith or would he be amazed at your lack of faith? Principle number one is simply this. You cannot play it safe and please God. Point number two is this. As long as you have a guarantee, you don't have faith. As long as you have a guarantee, you don't have faith. The writer to the Hebrews said it this way. He said in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is, okay, what is faith? What is this thing we're talking about, faith? Well, he's about to tell us here. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Notice this isn't guaranteed. We're still in the hoping. I hope this is you, God, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, some translations say, the assurance of things not seen. The problem for many of us is we want to guarantee. We want to know on the, on the front side what's going to happen on the back side before we take that step. Is this going to work? Is this going to work? Right? Like in third grade when you're going to ask the girl to go with you. But before you give her the, the yes-no question, you give her the pre-ask question, which, which is you ask her best friend, hey, if I ask so-and-so to go with me, do you think she'll go with me? And if she comes back and says, yeah, well, then you get out the note. Will you go with me? Check yes or no. Which I've always thought that was interesting because where are we going? <laughs> Fortunately, no girl ever hit me up on that. Hey, will you go with me? Go where? Uh... Recess. I don't know. Where are we going, right? We want that assurance before we put ourselves out there, right? You don't want to crash and burn. That would be too embarrassing, too hurtful. The point being, you can't have it both ways. You can have faith or you can have control. And that's all there is to it. You can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. And sometimes you just have to say, I think God's calling me to do this. I hope God's calling me to do this. I believe God's calling me to do this. And man, step out of the boat. Step out of the boat. It's kind of how it was when I uh, found my wife. We were both in Bible school. We'd only been dating a couple of months when I was presented with this option of having control or having faith. I was in my dorm room. I was actually getting ready. I think Sue and I were going to be going out that night and just kind of hanging out together. And so I was uh, in my dorm room. I, I uh, taking a shower and I'm shaving and uh, and uh, I remember it very distinctly and so I was doing one of these numbers where, where I'm coming up with the razor like this you know and uh, I was coming up and I, I'm not listen, listen I, I'm not one of those people given the weird spiritual heebie-jeebie stuff I believe God can speak audibly he's never spoken audibly to me okay but I'm just saying I believe he can do that 
But this was probably the closest to an audible voice that I've ever heard from God. I'm coming up with that razor like that, and I heard two words. Again, not audibly, but just in my spirit. And the two words were, ask her. And I knew it was God for two reasons. Number one, I knew who the her was that I was supposed to ask. And number two, I knew what I was supposed to ask her. I knew it was God asking me, telling me that I needed to ask Sue to marry me. Okay? And the other reason I know it was God is because, man, I felt like my heart was going to jump out of my chest. I mean, it was just pound and pound and racing and racing. And so I called Sue. I said, hey, uh, let's meet over at that uh, picnic table uh, by, the, by the auditorium because between her, between her dorm and the auditorium where we had all of the sessions and worship and so forth, there was this big tree with a picnic table under it, and lots of times we'd kind of hang out there. So I called her and uh, said, well, let's, let's meet there. So I, I met her there, and my heart's still racing, and I'm ho-humming around, and, uh, and, and you girls are going to hate me for this. Uh, but uh, about that point, I reverted back to my third grade mentality. And uh, I didn't give her a note that said check yes or no, but probably the closest thing to that. I uh, just kind of ho-humming around, and uh, I said, uh, so what do you think about getting married? <laughs> I kid you not. You know, I kid you not. Because, you know, I kind of wanted to ease the sting. If, you know, I'm not going to get down on one knee, because once you're down on one knee, you're out there. Right? If they say no, you're kind of. So I uh, ho-hummed around, said, what do you think about getting married? And her response was, sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. So we're talking a little bit, and I kind of told her what I felt like, you know, God had told me, you know, just not, you know, minutes before, half hour before. And, uh, and then she shared this with me, and this, this part kind of does give me spiritual goosebumps, you know, every time I think about it. But she had just, because we got to, we kind of kind of synchronizing the time. She said, well, what time were you doing that? And I told her, and she said, you know, that's about the time that um, I was praying, and I asked God, I, I basically asked God, I said, hey, if, if we don't have a future together that uh, to show me and to show you, and it was time to move on. And that was about the same time when I was doing this deal, and I heard the ask her. If I would have known that before I went to meet her, if I would have known that she had prayed that, I would have gotten down on one knee. I would have flown banners up there and everything, right? <laughs> Dear ones, you can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. Some of you are going to have to let go of control. Start exercising a little bit of faith. Take a step of faith. And then point number three, to step towards your destiny, you have to step away from your security. In order for us to continue moving forward and reaching the lost, the unchurched, and being the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus, we're going to have to step towards our destiny and away from our security because we cannot, we will not continue to grow as a church the way things currently are. We've maxed out our space, right? Now, not as far as here in the auditorium. I mean, there's things, we have, we have two services now, and I actually mentioned at the first service uh, because we've been having a lot more people at the first service and so many, in fact, that I think it's becoming a detrimental thing because 
uh, the, the church growth experts will tell you, you know, there comes a saturation point where you reach a certain percentage of your seating and people will not only quit coming, but you'll start losing people. It's just, it's this human thing. You know, we, we, we like our space. We've been past that for a while in the first service. And so I encourage them. I said, would you prayerfully consider coming to the second service? Because right now, if someone comes to the nine o'clock, if an unchurched, dechurched, lost person, the one comes to the nine o'clock service and steps through that door back there, I'm sorry, at that point, we have not become the easiest place for them to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus. And so I challenge them to step out in faith. Whatever it is that's causing you to come to the 9 o'clock, whatever those reasons are, and look, if you absolutely have to, fine, but look, this is about the one. I want you to understand this is all about the one, trying to reach the one. For some of you, maybe it's not about security. Maybe it's more about convenience. Either way, either way asking you to step away from your comfort and security for the sake of reaching the one. And we would do well to remember that living for something bigger than ourselves is going to take faith. Should I say that again? Living for something bigger than ourselves is going to take faith. I mean, it's it's bigger than us, so it's going to have to take faith. Not just faith, but big thinking, bet the farm, risk-taking faith. Because logic says, wait till you have the resources to expand. Big thinking, big bet the farm risk taking says, let's do what we can and trust God to do the rest. We're doing what we can. We are doing what we can. We're doing what we're able to do, right? We're doing two services. Here in the next month, November, actually Halloween night, because Halloween's on a Sunday this year. Halloween night and then the next three Sundays, the first three Sundays in November, we're going to be doing an outreach called At the Movies. And we're going to be doing three services. For those four weeks, we're going to be doing three services. Again, why? Because we're wanting to reach the one. We're wanting to create space. And I'm telling you right now, that 8 o'clock service is for you guys, all right? That's for you guys. The, 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 actually, we're going to, it'll be 8, 9, 15, and 10, 30 is what we're going to do. So they're going to be a little bit shorter. But again, the, the, we're, we're going to be ministering like we never have before. But to reach people who've never been reached before, you've got to do things that people aren't doing, right? To reach people who aren't being reached, you've got to do things that people aren't doing, what other churches aren't doing. And that's what we're trying to do is to reach these people. So sometimes it's not even a case of uh, more servers, but those that are currently serving doing more. And that's going to be a, a stretch of faith for some of you. Big thinking, bet the farm, risk-taking faith. And even though we don't know for sure what's on the other side of that series, that's the faith part, the assurance of things not seen part. Even though we don't know how that's going to go, here's what we do know. I know that if we'll exercise big faith and trust God to begin getting involved in in some capacity to do this, God will honor that. So a week later, two weeks later, a month later, we can look back on that as a time where, yes, we stepped out of the boat and God met us at our point of faith. And our faith is stronger now because of that. God will honor that. I know he will honor that. We need big faith to believe God to create more space for all the new families who are bringing kids to family kids on Sunday morning. Because whether you realize it or not, you know, what we do on Sunday morning impacts more than just in here. We have a family kids dream team that works hard back there to teach, teach our children about God. So it's not even about this space. It's about, it's about space back there as well. We have maxed that out as well. That's why we need big thinking, bet the farm, risk-taking faith to believe God to do something to help us be more effective and efficient in fulfilling the Great Commission. 
And while it's true that buildings don't reach people, people reach people. But when people reach people, you got to have a building to minister to them, right? Okay. Okay, Pastor, why? Why is this so important? Have, this, have, have big thinking, bet the farm risking, risk-taking faith. Why is that important? Well, for you personally, it's important because it will help you, help you navigate those, those tough times that you're going to bump up into, those times when it's not so easy to believe in a God you can't see. And that's when you really have to have faith. So it's important for you individually. It's important for Jesus and me in that regard, but it's also important for Jesus and we as we move forward as a church in reaching our community. There's plenty of sinners out there, even notorious sinners. I said that in the first service, and about eight people turned and looked at Scotty Hutchison right there because <laughs> I used him as an illustration a few weeks ago. Hey, we, there's plenty of sinners in this town to go around for everyone, Right? Even if every church was full, there wouldn't be enough for all the sinners in this, in this town. So this isn't about having a big church. This is about reaching the one. This is about reaching the one. I believe God wants us individually and corporately to think big because faith pleases the heart of God. And when God looks at you, when I want him to be amazed at your faith. And when God looks at our church, I want him to be amazed at our faith because I believe with all my heart in the next year, our God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. So here's your homework assignment for this week. I need you to do three things. Number one, write down three godly risks you're inspired to take and post that list somewhere very visible for the next three weeks as we go through this series. Write down three godly risks that you're inspired to take and put it somewhere that's very visible so you'll constantly see it as we progress through this series, right? And I'm telling you right now, some of you already know what one or two of them are because as soon as I said that, something came to mind. And the reason it came to mind is because God already called you out on it and you didn't, you were too scared. So it's still there. He's wanting you, he's trying to get you to step out of the boat. So some of you already know what one or two of those are. So write down three godly risks and believe God to lead the way and help you to do that. Then answer this question, what faith-filled step will you take to be more a part of the we and family church. What faith-filled step will you take to become more a part of the we and family church? For some of you, this might be taking the next class next Sunday morning. If you haven't taken that, consider taking that. That's your next step. Maybe you've already taken that, but you haven't gotten plugged into one of our dream teams. Then that would be your next step. Step out of the boat. Trust God. Go shadow one of, one of our dream teams. Find one that, that you feel like, yeah, I think I could fit in here. And let God amaze you as you use your gifts and talents for his kingdom. And then third, pick one way to get on board with our faith-filled, big-thinking church and go bet the farm at familychurch.xyz forward slash serve. In other words, put yourself out there. Just say, okay, I'm going to sign up for this. All right? God will honor that. So what are we? We are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. You believe that? Let's say that again. We are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Do you believe that? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, as your church, your people whom you've called to, to live together in unity, as we continue the mission that you've given us, not just the Great Commission, 
but the commission to be the easiest place for people to experience your love and forgiveness. A commission that requires great faith to accomplish because it's a great commission. It's not a small commission. It's a great commission, and a great commission takes great faith. So don't let us become complacent and slip into a life of living for survival instead of living for significance. Keep us focused on the one so we'll remain spiritually sharp and not let the world influence us but be influencers for your kingdom in this world. And as we seek to be the easiest place for people to experience your love and forgiveness, remind us of our dependence, not just on you, but on each other. Jesus and we. And whatever level of faith we might currently have, I pray that you would help us have bigger faith from this day forward. Help us begin trusting you at an even greater level. Give us big thinking, bet the farm, risk-taking faith. And don't let us be guilty of insulting you with small thinking or safe living anymore. And as we begin stepping out of the boat, or as we begin walking down our pyramid, whatever fear that we're facing, I pray that you would honor that faith, recognizing that you won't show us steps three and four and five until we've taken step number one. And God, as you grow our faith individually, grow our faith corporately as a church, help us recognize how much more you want to do through our church, through your church, through us, to reach more people than we can even imagine. God, make us a bold church. Help us to dream bigger dreams. Some of you right now, you may be looking at your life and the weight of your sinfulness is heavy upon you. It's like what Kyle talked about, maybe some shame. But that's why it's called the gospel. That's why it's the good news. And that's why some of you are here today. And you know it. And it's time for you to say, yes, I believe. I trust my life in God's hands. If that's you, would you just pray this simple prayer with me? Just say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. Make me brand new. Today, by faith, I give my life to you. I believe Jesus died for me so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit that I would know you more and begin serving you and following you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today, I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine in Jesus' name.